Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, what are rights and where do they come from? Today, I have two fellow podcasters and friends on the show, and we're going to discuss just that. I'm joined by Jacob Daniel and Chris Pope. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, my friend. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Um, while I've got you on and and you're, you're new to the show, why don't you give us a little background of yourself, and then I want you to tell us a little bit about your your path to anarchism. Um, it started back in about 2008 during the financial crisis. I was a big Dave Ramsey fan. I was also listening to 16 hours of right-wing talk radio every day, and um we had the financial crisis going on and, and I was working for a company uh, driving a truck and I watched my revenue, weekly revenue for my truck go from $12,000 a week to $4,000 a week. And at that time, trucking companies were dropping like flies. Uh, it was a lot of really bad economic turmoil going on and I was, I was worried for my, uh, for my income. And so I went to my boss and, and he explained some fundamental principles of economics to me. Um, and, and showed me what, uh, you know, what a, a responsible business does when times are good, which is save money. And then when the times were bad, you know, we still had uh, security. And so, you know, Dave Ramsey is just ever telling everybody not to freak out, not to freak out, not to freak out. And he did something I'd never seen it before, which was bring in historical context. And he, he read this, this op-ed article from 1999 from the New York Times, where someone, I don't even remember who, had written an article that said, um, because of this policy of Bill Clinton and Newt Gingrich, um, this and this and this and this will happen. Well, here we are 10 years later, 2009, and every single one of those things had happened. And so it was an example for me of red and blue working together against me. So here were all these people around me that were suffering and, and dealing with anxiety, and, and including me, people losing their homes. And, and I thought, the government is responsible for this. You know, they're not the answer. They're, they're the cause. And so then shortly after that, Obama comes in, and now everybody that was for everything before is now against that, and everything they were against, they're now for. And I, I watched this rearranging of the deck chairs on the Titanic, and I started backing away from right-wing talk radio because I just felt like they were all full of crap. And a, a guy named Mike Church still had a – he was one of the remaining kind of halfway decent voices on, on – uh, right-wing talk radio, and he interviewed Ron Paul, and I, and I went, well, okay, well, maybe this guy's not crazy after all, and uh, then he interviewed Tom Woods, and the portal opened, and, uh, you know, enter the old joke, what's the difference between libertarian and anarchist, and the answer is about six months, so um, over the next year or two, I, I began to read uh, and be just exposed to new and old literature, you know, from from Hayek and Bastiat and, and, and looking at the, the roots of the founding fathers and kind of the principles uh, therein and, and then getting history in context and taking the founders off of this pedestal 
that we put them on and saying, okay, well, I can, I got to a place where I can look at, say, the Constitution, the founding documents, the founders, and I can say, okay, I recognize them and I can appreciate them, but I no longer worship them. So 2015 comes around and I stumble into a church uh, where an old acquaintance of mine had started a new church and, and, um, uh, I hear him preach an in context new revelation of the gospel of Christ and was just blown away. And at that moment, anarchism and grace just just became this one in my mind. And I never looked back, you know, and here I am five years later and I've lived the last 10 months without anxiety, without fear, without trepidation, because I cannot be swayed with fear and I cannot be swayed with shame. That's awesome. I, you mentioned Dave Ramsey. I I listened to him quite a bit along for a long time. I was I was eyeball deep in debt at one time. Like I was working two jobs night and day, not sleeping, trying to just make ends meet. And because I worked in the newspaper for twenty three years, and back in two thousand, I want to say two thousand seven, somewhere in there, they stopped giving raises. Like not even not even cost of living raises raises. And at first it was okay because I was making enough money to live on. But the longer it went, I got to where I was just struggling. And so I was just adding money to credit cards, just trying to just so I could hang out with friends, just doing stupid things with money. And somebody turned me on to, to Dave Ramsey and I started listening to him. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. I've, I've got to there's got to be a better way. I've got to get out of debt because I'm, I'm miserable. And I, I'm to the point now that I'm out of debt. I have zero debt. I'm on the verge of buying a new home. And. I'm very thankful for his teachings. I've, I haven't listened to him in quite a while, but it, it, it has helped me so much. And you, you speak of not living in anxiety anymore. That's where I'm at. I don't worry about that stuff anymore. I've got, if something happens, I've got a little bit of money that's going to keep me afloat if I need to. I have a friend of mine, he, uh, uh, my best friend, Zeke, that says Dave, Dave Ramsey is the gateway drug to liberty, you know, because he, he gets you thinking outside of the mob mentality. And not just doing what every, all the other stupid things that your neighbors are doing. Um, and, and that's, that's an exit ramp, you know, now a lot of people choose not to take it, you know, but, but it is, it, there is an exit ramp after Dave Ramsey into Liberty because you start thinking for yourself and then you start asking questions. And if people would only be willing to ask questions, I, I know I'm not trying to force answers down your throat. I'm trying to get you to ask questions because I know that if you will just allow that natural curiosity that was beaten out of you by the government school system, if you'll just allow that out of the cage and you'll ask questions, the answers are not hard to find. They're not hard to find at all. But we just won't question, you know, oh, well, the president said it or the governor said it or this one said it or that one said it or it was on Fox News or it was on CNN. And, and, and it's just we're in we're infected, pardon the pun, with uh, this intellectual laziness right now. And it has led uh, the entire globe into this pit of despair that we're living in right now. Right. And if we could just get Dave Ramsey past that status mentality, because <laughs> oh, yeah. I feel like he, he might because he. You can listen to his show, and, and he, is a, he is a status. And if we could just get him past that, he'd be there. Jacob, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your path to anarchy? Yeah, my path to anarchy was maybe not super long in time, but it was long in terms of the distance traveled. Uh, 2016, Jacob was a Bernie Sanders supporter, voted for Bernie in the primary, and then Hillary Clinton in the, in the uh, presidential election. 
And uh, today, uh, this year, 2020, didn't vote at all. So a pretty long distance that I traveled from the Bernie Sanders Democratic Socialist positions that I had. First, I kind of went into being a little bit of a new sort of like neoconservative Ben Shapiro type, like right wing uh, libertarian leaning conservative then fell in with a local libertarian group. Uh, basically, long story short, got introduced to the principles of anarchism by people in that group. And then not quite six months later, I uh, went from being a uh, small L libertarian to an anarchist. And um, I mean, as far as like what convinced me, um, it was just the idea that, you know, uh, kind of what we're talking about today, the idea that no one should have uh, special rights that uh, I started to challenge the idea in my head based upon the questions that uh, anarchists were giving me that there should be a group of people that have special rights to do things that we don't have, like to steal, to murder, to incarcerate people for certain things. Um, so that was sort of the path that led me to anarchy was kind of the, those lines of questions. That's great. That is great. I, just, I always, I always enjoy the perspective of folks who came from the opposite side that I did. You know, you came as a, a Bernie Sanders supporter, and then I did not know you voted for Hillary Clinton. I was sitting here judging you the whole time you were saying that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, it was. It's not something I'm especially proud of anymore. Even at the time, I wasn't exactly a fan of voting for her, but I was sort of uh, my arm was twisted into it by the the Democrats I was a part of, uh, like the groups I was a part of. Um, well, I was also a vegan back then, part of uh, local vegan groups, and of course, they're all a bunch of lefties. And it's it's kind of like a little bit of whiplash sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you like go on social media and you see posts from a few years ago that you made, and you're like, "Oh my god, I cannot believe I said <laughs> stuff like that." Like if I saw some of the things I said back then now on someone else's wall, man, I would be on them in a heartbeat, just like like a like a cheetah in the wild, just like pouncing on them. Absolutely. Well, I've seen Facebook posts of mine or, or memories of mine on Facebook, and I didn't realize it was a memory of mine at first. And I started to jump on that post and start <laughs> grilling that person on what he was saying. And then I realized it was me <laughs> that I was fixing to start grilling. Well, I, I fortunately for me, uh, I joined Facebook in 2009 and I had already kind of fallen over the edge. And there's a there's a few posts that will pop up. From from mid to late 2009, that that I said some pretty stupid things, but uh, I have been spared the uh, the the shame of the Facebook memory because most of mine uh, I had already started at least embracing the idea of liberty. So mine, mine are pretty gross. I'm not going to lie. I've had some pop up recently when I started my transition into understanding what liberty was. So those are a little more uh, comforting. But some of the old ones, man, back in my old neocon days, whoo. It was gross. I mean, it was it was pretty bad stuff. But I want to I'm going to read a quote before we get started. And I think it might play well into what we're going to talk about. It's a quote by Larkin Rose. He's and y'all both know who he is. He's very uh, non. He, he doesn't apologize for any of his any of his words, and he's very upfront about what he believes. And I think that's what we need more of because it's. I mean, a lot of what we talk about is going to hurt folks' feelings, but that's okay because my feelings had to get hurt at some point before. I had to understand where I was going and where I was coming from. And once my feelings were hurt and I recognized that, okay, maybe there's something to this, then 
let's let's look more into it. And that's kind of how I got to where I was at, too, by getting my feelings hurt. But here's a quote. It says, the truth is one who seeks to achieve freedom by petitioning those in power to give it to him has already failed, regardless of the response. To beg for the blessing of authority is to accept that the choice is the master's alone to make, which means by that means that that person already, by definition, is a slave. Do you agree with that, Chris? I do. Jacob? Yeah, I would agree. Okay, great. Now, let's start with uh, Chris. What is your understanding of rights, or what do you? what is a right to you? A right to me, you know, trying to put this into my own words, is we, we, are, we are kind of pre-programmed in America to just repeat what was written in the founding documents about life, liberty, and property. Um, and so it, trying right now to not plagiarize that and come up with my own words is a little difficult. A right is something that cannot be taken away from me, right, with, without there being some sort of harm. So if you, if you put plastic over my face and take away my right to air, I'm going to die. So to me, a right is something that, that if it is infringed upon or if it is restricted, then it brings harm to me. Um, you know, my right to enterprise, my right to travel, my right to own property, my right to defense, um, any, if any of those things is restricted in any way, then I'm going to be harmed. And, and my having a right to travel, a right to property, a right to enterprise, a right to defense just just simply being able to engage uh, in those rights does not bring harm to anyone else um, by default, you know. And so I, I guess that's the best way I can put it. it. Rights are things that if taken away from me will bring harm. Okay, I, I would agree with that. Jacob, what about you? What is a right to you? Well, I came prepared with the, uh, the uh, textbook definition just to kind of use as a springboard, the uh, textbook definition of what a right is be something to which uh, you have a just claim to or something to which you are rightfully due. So it's, it's, it, and then we're talking about something in, in the moral or in some kind of legal framework, something that you are entitled to, so to speak, that is supposed to be yours. Um, and then in libertarian philosophy, a lot of times what people do is they break it down into two groups. You have negative rights and you have positive rights. I don't know if you guys might have heard this dichotomy before, but for those who haven't, positive rights are things that people have to give to you, as in the surrounding society owes you something that is like they have to posit- give you something that's like a positive attribution to, to your well-being. Um, this would be like a right to health care or a right to housing or uh, a right to social security. Those are positive rights. Negative rights are more, what you're, they're going to sound familiar in terms of kind of like being from the uh, enlightenment uh, philosophy, things we talk, we hear a lot when, when we're talking about the, the constitution and the founding fathers, what they talked about as far as rights. Negative rights are things that, uh, that you have unless someone infringes upon them being like the right to self-defense, the right to life, uh, the, the, the right to uh, engage in business without and, and in trade with people without being coerced upon. Uh, so th- that would be kind of the how I would describe rights. So there are things that you're entitled to. And then there's two categories that people will talk about things that you that are your rights. They'll talk about either things that people have to give to you or things that 
people shall not infringe upon. Which do you prefer? Uh, to me, the only consistent category that doesn't involve or, or lead to uh, self-contradictions in terms of a moral framework would be negative rights. I think that's one thing that bothers me the most about the the positive rights folks is the when you hear them talk about, I have a right to health care, I have a right to shelter, I have a right to clothing, I have a right to food. But what what is missed in all that is when you are asking or you're you are claiming that you have that, those rights, you're taking the rights away from somebody or you're forcing somebody else to provide that right to you. Go ahead, Jacob. Right, yeah, I, w- I was going to... To yeah, add to that, that the, the reason that I oppose positive positive rights as an anarchist is that, like you said, it is you are requiring someone to do something. I mean, think about it in a legal sense. If you're saying that I am entitled to X, that that X is rightfully mine, and they haven't given it to you, what you are creating is a situation where uh, you are allowed to initiate force or coercion against that person in order to make them give you that. And, you know, that that ends up in either taking things away from people, which is theft, or forcing someone at the point of a gun, you know, the gun being the state, to provide a service. And that's a form of slavery. So, uh, to me, positive rights always end in, in uh, moral contradictions. And it doesn't make any sense how people can think about that logically. And maybe it doesn't make sense to me. And I know it probably doesn't make sense to y'all, but how they, they look at that logically, how they can think that it's okay to force somebody to provide a service to somebody at the point of a gun. Go ahead, Chris. I have a unique experience being on the road for 25 years as a professional truck driver. People do not, there's a disconnect. I think people, because, okay, let me back up. In the trucking world, you'll hear people say, well, if you got it, it came off a truck and you better thank a truck driver. You know, it's kind of a, you know, virtue signaling thing, but People don't understand that every single thing they have was at one time in the back of a truck, right? So when you walk into Walmart, when you walk into the clothing store, you go into the home improvement store, that stuff was not delivered by magical fairies in the middle of the night. Someone had to haul it. So look around you at any time and anything that you have had to be delivered on a truck, okay? Well, a lot of these Marxist progressives are all about labor. They love labor. You know, all labor and workers and bless their hearts. Okay. All right. Well, you say you love labor. All right. Well, I had a lot of labor in delivering those products. So am I going to be paid for that labor or am I not going to be paid for that labor? Because somebody's got to pay for it. So I think part of the problem is a disconnect from people not understanding the basic concepts of the economic system in which they live. And it's global. Every, trucking and, and logistics and anywhere on the planet in the first world, you have this, this amazing logistics machine that delivers your Amazon package two days later um, to see the amount, to see firsthand from my perspective, the amount of, of logistics. And um, I made this comment back in, um, in April. Uh, I ended up giving a little speech in front of some freedom lovers. And, and I said, y'all, y'all need to understand that over the last 25 years, we have created the most fantastic, the most spectacular uh, supply chain in the history of man. And y'all screwed it up in two weeks. You cleaned it out. You 
Why? Why did you do that? Because you watch too much television, you believe everything you see, and you went, oh, I need six, seven months of toilet paper. And you destroyed this amazing, completely voluntary, um, completely uh, decentralized. There, there's no federal department of logistics. That this was this was spontaneous order, and y'all effed it up so bad and so quickly that we st we still can't fill it up. We're still behind, um, and it's it's that that lace that basic lack of economics one hundred and one. And so they're like, oh well, well I need healthcare, so somebody needs to give it to me. Okay, fine. All right, fine. Who's going to pay the doctor? Who's going to pay the pharmacist? Who's going to pay the nurse? Who's going to pay the light bill? Who's going to buy the furniture? Who's going to buy the, the, the tools and, and, the, and, the, and the instruments and, and, and all of this stuff that you want? You, on one hand, you know, the proud Marxist, we must care for the worker. Okay, then pay the worker. How's the worker going to get paid if you want every damn thing for free? Not to mention, there, there's also, to me, always like this naivety to those who say that they want a right to healthcare because, you know, I, I run a business. If I'm doing work for someone's vehicle, like I work at an auto repair shop, if I'm doing work for someone's car or truck and they say, oh, like it's my truck, but my dad or my uncle or whoever else is paying the bill, who am I going to, to get permission to do things to that truck if I need to get approval to do more work than was previously authorized? Am I going to the person who owns it or am I going primarily to the person who's paying for it? I'm going to the person who's paying for it because they're the ones that have to foot the bill. Well, that's what happens in healthcare when you put that in charge or under the uh, control of the state is you no longer have control over your own healthcare decisions. You have relinquished that right. So if, if I tell, say the state, hey, you're going to provide healthcare, you know, single payer healthcare insurance. And, and pay for everything and, and well, centrally, plan, centrally planned healthcare system, people think that sounds good because everyone gets healthcare, but they don't realize the, the many consequences, and this, this just being one of them, being that I have given up my right to self-determination over my health and my children's health, you know, as far as the decisions that I make uh, with any kind of health uh, situation that will arise. I have given that right up to the state. And just looking at history, you should be really weary about giving <laughs> people in the state any power over your lives, especially one of the most essential rights you have, which is the, the control. You know, it's funny, people on the left will, will bark all day long about abortion, about it's a right to a woman to have control over her body. You'd think that the same people would be able to see the danger in giving this. They're like, we don't want the state to have control over health decisions related to the fetus growing inside a woman's uterus because we think that's dangerous power to give the state. But that's the only time they will ever make that argument. They can't see that that argument actually applies to all other health decisions <laughs> and not necessarily just to the decision of a woman who wants to not really make just a health decision concerning her body, but now she's making a decision for her body plus one. I wanted to piggyback on what Jacob was saying. So I, I, I manage a fleet of nine tractor trailers, and these trucks can and will break uh, at, at the most inopportune times. 
And trying to get our trucks worked on is a nightmare because we have technicians, and I'm going to bring this around to healthcare, so hang on, y'all. All right. We have technicians that are raised and trained to press the button on the screen and wait for the computer to tell them what's wrong. And then we call them parts changers. They just stand back 10 yards and throw parts at it, but they don't know how to fix it because they don't know how it works. Okay. Can you imagine what it would be like for me as a truck operator if I had to go to a central authority a thousand miles away to find out how to fix my engine, to find out how to fix my transmission, to figure out how to change a tire? Uh, we have essentially done the same thing. The same process has played itself out in healthcare, where doctors are no longer really trained about how to fix the body. The doctors have become parts changers, just like mechanics have. It's like they're prohibited from using common sense and, and logic and critical thinking. And so I have found a guy here locally that, that we bring our trucks to because he uh, is relentless. He won't stop until it's fixed. He has this amazing ability to look at the whole picture and, and look at how these different systems on these trucks play against one another. And well, if this one's not working right, let me check this other one. And so imagine what it would be like. And, and, and through this COVID mess, we, it amazes me that a doctor cannot, well, they can, but they're, you know, they're, they're blackballed and canceled and, and criticized and ridiculed. If a doctor makes a decision to prescribe, you know, either a prophylaxis or, or an early treatment of COVID. Well, that's not what the experts at the top of the pyramid said. And I'm thinking, y'all, we've got a couple hundred years of history that shows us that the dumbest people on the planet are at the top of the pyramid. So, you know, it's probably going to be about time that we stop listening to the people at the top because they're all compromised. They're all bought and paid for. They don't have a clue what the hell they're talking about. Um, because they're being told by their benefactors or their supporters or their sponsors or, or however you want to, you know, however you want to describe that stranglehold that the, that the corporations have on these experts at the top. And then the information is supposed to trickle down. And so the irony is you have people that hate that trickle down economics, but they want trickle down health care. They hate big tobacco and big oil. But big pharma gets a complete pass. The, the, the pharmaceutical companies can do anything they damn well please. And you're supposed to shut up, slave, and, and take your shot. So I see it in other aspects of life that we have down here in reality on the ground. We have to, um, we have to deal and make decisions that are made more difficult and made more complicated by people that don't have any skin in the game. You know, I just want my truck to run so I can pay my driver, so I can serve the customer, so I can get the job done. And I need a bunch of you idiots to get out of my way and just let me do that without your interference. Right. And if the state was in control of that process, it would it would be like you want your truck fixed. But they step in and go, well, based upon our calculations, no, you don't want your truck fixed. What you want is a new truck. Or actually, no, we're going to go buy you a used truck of what we deem to be similar value. And then you inherit a crappy truck that, you know, doesn't suit your needs and that has other problems. Or it's like, okay, well, you 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 need your truck fixed, but uh, we've prioritized your problem 
to being this important and we'll get to it in six months, 12 months, which is, that's what happens. People don't like to, people like to look at the bottom line in the countries that have the the socialized medicine and go, well, look, everybody gets healthcare and uh, nobody's paying this much out of, out of pocket. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, you end up with rationing and people actually, a lot of times if they have something serious, they're coming, you know, especially people up in Canada, they're coming down here to America where we at least have, I mean, not that we have a free market of healthcare, but we at least have something that, you know, a little fra- a little remnant of it. And people come down here from Canada to get life-saving treatment because it's quicker and, and it's better than the socialized medicine that's rationed, not just from a supply side where they can only dish out so much at once, but B, because of that, so that central planning, you've taken out the innovation and the drive to be excellent because of competition, which is what capitalism, what free markets provides. And so uh, even though people look at America and they look at the bottom line and go, well, look at the costs and not, you know, not everyone has, has equal access and this and that. But the bottom line is that if you're dying and you need the best doctors available with the best treatment available, you know, America is still number one in those categories, like number one in uh, five, 10 year can- cancer survival. You know, we have the highest uh, rates of cancer treatment and survival in, in the world. So the high end stuff is still the best here. And that's where people think we still have something resembling a free market in healthcare, which we don't. We have the worst of both worlds. We have not central planned healthcare. We have heavily regulated healthcare with lots of red tape and, and, and bureaucracy to, <laughs> to deal with. It's a, it's a very corporatist setup where it, it's actually enriching the people in big pharma and in the hospitals and stuff. We do have a lot of things that make it hard for our, our health industry to operate in a free market scale. You know, it's funny, all this talk about with COVID, people were afraid at the beginning about what? About hospitals being overrun. Well, wouldn't you think that would result in like, oh, wow, two, two new hospitals opened up over the, over the last six months in my area. But that hasn't happened. And the reason that hasn't happened is because to open up a new hospital, the hospitals that already exist have to basically sign off on it and say, oh, there's a need for a second hospital. If, I, if that was true in the automotive world, and I was, I was allowed to determine, hey, uh, uh, you guys have to come to me if you're going to open up another transmission shop or tire shop in the surrounding 50 miles, who's going to vote against their self-interest to go, yeah, I want competition. You know, you can't trust anybody with that kind of power. So I've got a perfect example of what Jacob was talking about there. Um, so diesel trucks have emissions controls on them uh, going back to really 2004, but they really got bad in 2008 to the point that a truck built from 2008 to 2015 is pretty much worthless. And it all started in California. So here's the example. In the port of Los Angeles, there were all of these little independent owner-operators that would have really old, paid-for trucks that would run containers in and out of the port, um, you know, either out to the rail lines or, or out into the distribution network in Southern California. And <clears throat> these guys were making a great living. You know, they were, they were getting by, and they had these little, you know, small businesses. Well, the mental giants in California came up with these emissions rules, and overnight, all of these trucks that these guys were driving were now illegal. Well, the, the freight still had to get moved. 
So the carriers and the companies were like, okay, the, these people that have been providing the service for us no longer have trucks, but we need this stuff moved and you can only move it with a truck. So here's what we'll do. We'll go buy new compliant trucks and even the, the state of California would buy your old truck, um, you know, give you a, uh, one of their stupid words, I can't think of what it was, but they would destroy your old truck. They would, they would crush this viable uh, truck, uh, and then they would help, air finger quotes, they would help you get into a new truck. Or the carriers and the companies would buy the trucks and lease them to the drivers. Well, now their margin has gone to zero. So now you have guys that went from making a living to now can't make a living at all because they're paying $800 a week for a truck. So when the LA Times writes a story about this, what does the story say? Does the story say, well, the government unilaterally stepped in and made the, the trucks illegal. And so because of the government, we, we had to buy new trucks. And because of the government, these guys can't make any money. No, that's not what the L.A. Times did in the op-ed. The L.A. Times came out and said, look at these horrible companies that are leasing these trucks to these drivers. Um, they, they're, they're greedy corporate pigs. And these people are making five cents an hour uh, because, uh, you know, because of corporate greed. And I'm like, corporate greed didn't have a damn thing to do with it. It, the fact that the state stepped in here and unilaterally made their their tool, their hammer, their screwdriver illegal, and then it had to be replaced with a $150,000 version of, of exactly what was being done before um, because we, 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 we couldn't let the freight set on the port. It had to be delivered. It had to get to the rail line. It had to get to the warehouse. Somebody had to do it somehow, so the company stepped in and tried to build a bridge and that's what so many businesses end up doing. They, they end up chasing the state around. The, cha the, the state is going around and setting everything on fire. And then private business has to come behind and try to put the fire out and try to, um, try to, to fill that gap that was created in the market to get, that, uh, to get the, the job done at the end of the day. And, um, and th they've made it nearly impossible. Uh, now, of course... The, the, the spirit of the LA Times article talking about this is, well, I'll tell you what we need. We need unionization. And so the Teamsters are ready to just come right in and we'll just unionize everybody. And it was the biggest scam in the history of man. You know, but again, fundamental, fundamental economics and history uh, is not taught in schools. So people don't see the scam coming. Uh, but these people don't give a damn about the environment. They don't care about air quality. They don't care about cancer rates. They care about who's going to get me elected. And unions are really good at getting people elected. So, you know, it's we live um, with our business. Um, we're very disobedient. All of our trucks are from the year 2000 to 2007. None of our trucks are legal to drive in California. Um, and you know, and I'm ready for California to fall off in the ocean at this point. So it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, but we don't have a single truck that has less than a million miles on it, but yet we buy these old trucks for $10,000, put 15 or 20 into them to get them ready, hire a driver, train them how to be self-employed, train them how to be uh, a servant, train them how to work with customers and agents and, and we can take somebody from zero to $150,000 a year annual income in two years. You know, um, where else in the world does an opportunity like that with someone with no college experience can go literally from zero to 150 grand a year or more in two years? 
Um, but we're training people up and the first thing we have to do is unplug their brain, rewire it and plug it back in. You're no longer a slave. You're now a servant. You, you go find somebody to serve you. You, you exploit your uniqueness in the service of others and you are going to get paid more money than you've ever made in your life. But we have so many people that believe the axis of the universe runs right through the top of their precious little head and they can't even imagine the idea of self-sacrifice. They can't imagine the idea of putting someone's needs really before them. And they don't have a damn thing to do with wearing a mask. That's great. Jacob, I'm going to go ahead and, and with your thought. And then I want to get to the second part of this topic. Sure. Well, we talked a lot about the uh, practical consequences of positive rights. And we've, we've used healthcare as a very good example of that, because that's kind of like one of the most commonly cited examples of a positive right that is talked about a lot in our culture. Um, but and that's important. There are definitely logistical, like, you know, and economic problems that arise when you try to make something a positive right and then license the state to be the entity that carries that out. But unfortunately, it doesn't end there. We also have the unforeseen consequences, which is that the more power we give to the state to try to give us these things that we want, that we think we are entitled to, we're giving the state more and more license and power to go and do things that nobody wants to talk about. I mean, and I've been railing about this for the past, really the past year, but even more so in the past month. The left wants to talk about how much that they want, they care about people, that they want universal health care, they want these mask mandates and these lockdowns because they're trying to save lives, but they turn a complete, not I me, mean, not all of them, but, but most of them turn a complete blind eye to the bombs being dropped in Yemen right now, to, to the, the unending occupation of the Middle East by the empire. And when you construct an entity that is large enough to have this power to tax and to print money and to, to do, have all this control over the economy in order to give you those things you think you're entitled to, people are not willing to, on balance, weigh the consequences of that because it's not surprising that after FDR, after the state became more powerful in terms of being able to give people these entitlements and these positive rights, that that's when the empire really started to escalate at American interventionism and American bombs dropping on innocent civilians, killing innocent men, women, and children started to really pick up. And positive rights always end with giving someone a gun and the power to go use that force to give you what you want. But then people don't realize or think about what else that person's going to do with that gun. Right. For me, I don't think we've seen in our history the hypocrisy on both sides, not just the left, but on both sides that we've witnessed with this whole COVID uh, response. And what you were just talking about, Jacob, is going to segue nicely into the second part of this, this discussion. Hey, folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. 
two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page, and you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us and help us promote it. Now back to the show. So what I've noticed, and I think you two have, have as well, that the majority of Americans, and I, and I stick to America because that's where I live, but you know, you can talk to other, other people. Like I've, I've had folks on the show from Canada, but the, uh, the majority of people believe that their rights come from the state. And I think we as Christians know that that's not true. But even there's, there are even status Christians that, that I think to some degree believe that as well. Chris, where do you believe that our rights come from? As a follower of Jesus, I believe that rights come from God. You know, that, that creates a little bit of an issue if I am uh, encountering uh, someone who doesn't have that same belief system that I do. But I just say that, again, you're born with a, a right uh, to to live, you know, obviously. And so whatever those life-sustaining um, principles are, then then that's what you have. And um, I have uh, the, the last almost year now, since uh, 15 Days to Slow the Spread began, um, I have been around a lot of, uh, you know, freedom fighters and people that are very um, passionate about uh, – you know, their, their natural rights. And, and I've had some fun with them because I'll say, yeah, you know, that's a, that, that's exactly right. Now you realize that, you know, every man, woman, and child on this planet has the same uh, individual natural rights that, that you do. And they just look at you like, you, you know, just fell off the alien ship. Um, and, and to get them to break them out of that mold that somehow rights come from the constitution, um, you know, I can usually get them there because I'll say, um, okay, but the, the, which came first, you know, the, the constitution recognizes something that already exists, right? Well, yes, that that's correct. Okay. Then if it already existed before the constitution, then that means I had it because I was born. If I had it because I was born, then someone else has it because they were born. And if they're not free, I'm not free. So the challenge I think we face now is, is breaking down these man-made borders and barriers to get people who, who really claim that they love liberty and they, and they love this, this they, want, they want the rights for themselves. Well, then they're going to have to understand that things like the Constitution is handcuffs on the state, not handcuffs on me. There's one phrase that really grind, makes me grind my teeth. And that that phrase is constitutional rights. Oh, yeah. I hate hearing people say my constitutional rights. You're infringing on my constitutional rights. No. You're being infringed on your rights. The Constitution does not grant you rights. You're right. Just like you said, your rights came were prior to the Constitution ever being written before it was ever even thought of. And you make up you make a great point. That and speaking to Americans, they they think that only Americans are afforded certain rights, 
Well, that's not true. Every person that was born is a was created by God. Why? Why would he just give Americans certain rights and not those rights, the same rights to the folks in Yemen, like Jacob was talking about, or in Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, wherever we think our enemies are? Do they not have the same rights that we do? Jacob, did you have something? Yeah. So where where I would try to explain rights come from would be to first you know, kind of work backwards from an understanding of what they are. I mean, we said, I said at the beginning, rights are things that you are entitled to. Well, we've rejected positive rights because we agree that you're not entitled to things that require you to initiate force on other people in order to have, which means what you were entitled to is for people not to uh, interfere or take away with your, what we call negative rights, which basically is and I'm, I'm just going to use uh, the term that, that is common in the libertarian world. It's basically just a backwards way of expressing the, the NAP, the non-aggression principle, which is just the idea that it is immoral to initiate force against someone. And going further from that, as Christians, where do we, where do we see that reflected in the Bible? Well, it's in the Ten Commandments, and it's also in what Christ told us. I mean, Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that that second part, love your neighbor as yourself, you know, I mean, it's kind of like the, the first part is summarizing the first half of the Ten Commandments, which is, you know, don't bow down to idols or worship God alone. And then the second half being like, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness is kind of like the the loving your neighbor part. And I would say rights come from the fact that we are, the Latin term is the imago Dei, we are created in the image of God, and we are, we are God's children. And we all have that, that spark of divinity within us. And when you aggress against someone else, not only are you just like br- breaking commandments, but you are, you are almost in a sense, when you're violating someone else, when you're committing aggression towards them, you're committing aggression against someone who is created in the, in the image of God. So it's almost an affront to God. You're not loving your neighbor. You're not loving God when you initiate aggression. So to me, that's where rights come from. They come from the fact that we are created by God and that God has told us that in order to be, uh, to follow in his example, in order to, to be living in the kingdom, to be following in his footsteps, we, these are the things that we have to do. We have to not aggress against people because that is a violation of of their rights. It's a violation of 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 that spark of divinity that that they were created with. I want, that's great, Jacob. I, I want I want to come back around to something I started with that I forgot to say. With at the time of this recording, we're nearing the end of 2020, and something that I've noticed with small business owners. The majority of small business owners that I've been trying to talk to about this is that it's, they're going to have to take the lead in ending this, the COVID nonsense with the state. Now, what I'm running into, though, is we're just got to follow the rules. What rules? The, the state has completely stepped outside of their boundaries, supposed boundaries, and they are telling you, telling you how you can live, how you can make your money, how you can feed your children. This is, these are not rules. These are, these are, this, these are the actions of tyrants. And you're going to have to stand up to them at some point and end this because without you, y'all are, it, I, I'm, I'm afraid this is going to happen. I have a lot of friends that have small businesses. It, it's going to fold 
at some point because they've cowered down to what the state's saying and it is ruining their lives. Chris, go ahead. The state has failed. And I've got a lot of really well-intentioned friends that, um, you know, of course, still believe Trump's Trump's going to, he's playing 4,572D chess and this is the fourth act. And, you know, and just any minute, uh, you know, th- this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, and the election is not going to be stolen anymore. And I'm sitting here thinking, I hope it is. I hope it is stolen. I hope you believe that it was stolen, whether it was or not, because then maybe if Trump is no longer there for you to lean on as a crutch, you'll get off your dead ass and stop expecting somebody else to do it for you. So what I'm trying to get through to people and, and it, because of my philosophy and the fact that I am not waiting for the state in any way to do anything for me, my customers are my heroes. My, my customers are my thin blue line. My, my, my customers and my associates and, and our drivers, and um, that's where my prosperity comes from. And we've got to get to the point where we finally just look up and say, okay, and I live in the state of West Virginia, and we've got this unhinged lunatic in the governor's office um, that goes, and I mean, listen, I, I, don't, I can't re- recommend doing it more than once, but Go to YouTube and watch this numbnuts press conference just one time. I can't do it anymore because I just end up screaming obscenities at my phone. But here is this unhinged lunatic, this this third grade dropout that people just fall all over his words because he's the governor. Our legislature is nowhere to be found. They are they are hiding in some bunker somewhere. Um. So I just need y'all to understand there is no state solution. There is no political solution left for this. The only solution is for you to stand up. And I know it's hard. I had to deal with it when I was a kid. But occasionally you have to look at that bully and you have to bust him in that mouth because there's one thing a bully understands, and that's a bloody nose. And so maybe it's time for us to stand up and punch that bully in the mouth and say, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. Write me a ticket. Write me a citation. Take me to jail if you have to. But y'all have only got so much jail capacity. So you can't get us all. Okay, so I'm not wearing a mask. I'm not social distancing. I'm not taking a shot. I'm not shutting down my business. I'm not going to do it. If you, would have, if you would have asked me in January of last year, where was the line that people wouldn't cross? I would have told you it was way, way, way back behind us. But there is a line that we're coming to some point, And I think that's where it's going to be important for people like us to say, okay, it's going to be okay. Why don't you, barber, stylist, restaurant owner, auto mechanic, truck driver, why don't you just tell the state to piss off and go find your customers and serve them? You don't need everybody's approval. You don't need, you know, if there's a maximum capacity, you know, our trucks can haul five loads a week. All right. Nine trucks, five loads, 45 loads a week times 50 weeks in a year. That's it. That's all the capacity. Well, there's millions of people here. So there's millions of people that can pound sand. They can have a Coke and a smile if they don't like what I'm doing. 
I only need 45 loads a week. Everybody else can kiss my white ass. <laughs> I, uh, I've been thinking about this lately, too. If I had, if I knew how to cut somebody's hair, if I knew how to run a restaurant, I would be rich by the end of the month. There are so many people out there that are wanting some kind of social interaction with other people. They're tired of sitting behind their laptop on Zoom. And I'm, I want nothing more than to go sit at a bar, belly up to a bar, and have a margarita. That's what I want to do. I want to go talk to some strangers and, and have a conversation. But I'm telling you, if, if some of these people would understand, and, and I think, and you brought up a good point, some of us are going to go to jail. Some of us are going to get ticketed. Some of us are going to get a citation. But once one person starts doing it, they have the ability to empower other folks to do it as well. And once more folks are doing it, the state can't be, can't, cannot stop it. They'll be overwhelmed. They'll, then they'll probably, and in my mind, we'll just give up. Otherwise, we'll just crumble. Well, it's funny when, when Chris said what a bully understands is a bloody nose. Um, we almost don't even have to do that. I mean, we outnumber the bully. I mean, the bully says, uh, you know, like we're at recess, okay, at school. And, and the bully says, all right, we're playing a new game now. You guys can't play soccer. We're going to go play kickball. If everybody doesn't want to listen to the bully, they don't have to. They, they can just keep playing soccer. We have to realize that the state is a bully. And they can talk a really good game, but in honesty, we outnumber them by a degree that is really hard to put into words. Like, we outnumber the state and these bullies by so much. We keep on thinking they have all the power. They only have power that we give them. And I mean, part of that is because we've been raised to accept these things. And that's one of the dangers of public schooling and what I, what I really like to call public indoctrination camps is that they, they teach this sort of, they condition us to be subservient to the state, to think that we can't stand up to them. And that has to stop. We have to realize the power that we have. And we don't need to go pick a fight. We just need to stand up and say, you don't have the power to tell us to do that. You know, we're going to go live as free men as we are supposed to, as God tells us to. And one of the other things that Chris said that I wanted to speak to was, you know, it, there's like a laziness that people have where, and sometimes even Christians, and I'm, I'm, I might sound a little critical here, but there are some Christians, both left and right, that, that say, well, we have to have the state because we have to do X because that's what the Bible says we have to do. I said, well, the Bible didn't say, you know, Jesus didn't say, go license the state to take care of the least of these. Go get the state to love your neighbor. Go get the state to... No, he told you to do that. Stop being lazy, sitting down, going to a, a, a voting booth once every four years and thinking that you're doing your duty as a Christian. Like, that is not what Jesus taught. Jesus said to go out there and be a servant, not to go license a bunch of thugs to go do it for you. Couldn't agree more. We talk about that quite a bit on the show, about how Christians have the tendency to want to outsource their serving others through the state. And that is just asinine. I mean, it just, it does not make any sense how you think that's going to work. And you can go vote every two to four years. And then what are you, what are you doing after that? If you think that's helping, what are you doing beyond that? Are you just sitting at home waiting for the next election? No, that's not what we were instructed to do. Preach the gospel, love your neighbor, love your enemy. That includes anybody you come in contact with. The revolution will not be televised. I don't know where that quote comes from. I don't either, but I've, I've heard that quite a bit recently, a lot lately, actually. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, it, it kind of took on a new meaning for me last week because I realized, okay, the reason the revolution won't be televised is because they don't want you to see it, right? So we're seeing, I've been following this guy, Ian Smith, on Instagram uh, that owns a, a bar, or not a bar, um, a gym up in um, Belmar, New Jersey. You know, and he's a big statist and, and you know, and, and loves Trump and all this stuff. And, but, but, but dude is a monster, you know, and, and he just, you know, F you, I'm not going to do what you tell me. And he's been arrested and they barred up the building and they busted the bar barrier down and has been open every day. And like it, the fines are in the millions right now. And he just keeps going, you know? Um, and, and we're seeing more of that restaurants refusing to close gyms, refusing to close. Um, but of course the news media, the, the American corporate news, which are terrorists, um, they're not going to televise that, you know, so they don't want people to know. And what's encouraging for me is that it's not like the market has got to develop ways to get around this. They already exist. Blockchain, cryptocurrency, uh, it, it's been around for 10 years. It's just a matter of time before these establishment firms like Facebook and Google get the, the rug ripped out from under them and maybe they're going to see it coming. Maybe they're not, but eventually we're going to move away because, um, I mean, this is, this is like watching a bad movie. Like I would, I would expect to, that for there to be some cult film that, you know, not everybody liked, but you know, you'd love to like smoke a joint and sit down and watch this dumb movie where the, the people were like on LSD and they wrote this script where it outlines exactly how the state and media has behaved over the last 10 months. And you wouldn't believe it. Idiocracy. Yeah. It, yeah. It's idi idiocracy, which we showed that to my kids like two weekends ago. And it was hilarious. And there, and I said, y'all please understand you're watching this in 2020 and my 11 and my 14 year old just looked at me and they were like, Oh my God, <laughs> this, is, this is incredible. You know, <laughs> <laughs> That's what's weird for me. Dude, I'm so optimistic and 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 positive about the future. Um the future for my kids and it, it hurts me to see these people, especially people of faith, the people that tell me they believe in Jesus and they believe, you know, in, in the finished work of the cross, yet they're so terrified right now. And I'm like, y'all, Jesus said he came to give you peace. You don't have peace right now because you are negotiating with terrorists, you know, and I thought in America, we didn't negotiate with terrorists. So, um, I'm, I'm fired up for the future. I, I think the next five years is we're going to see innovation like we've never seen before because the market is the machine. that cannot ever be beaten. Jacob, I'm going to give you the last word and then I'm going to let y'all plug whatever you want to plug and then, uh, let you get out of here. That was great, Chris. Yeah. I mean, you know, my last word would be Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. You know, you have to decide who you're going to serve. Are you going to serve the world, kingdoms of the world? We all know Jesus, who offered him the kingdoms of the world? Satan did. So you're going to serve the kingdoms of the world, or are you going to serve the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is not about licensing a bunch of mafia members, giving them a bunch of power to go and give you a bunch of free stuff. Okay? That's not what rights are about. Rights are about loving your neighbor, about not initiating force against anybody about going out there and 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 living f as free men living and, and viewing everyone in that light so we have to go out there and you know if we want to actually 
help people. Stop sitting around waiting for the state to do it. Go do it yourself. I mean, look at all the money that goes into politics and all the time, money and energy and worry. You know, it would take maybe only half of that to go out there and make a real difference in this world. So you want people to have health care? Great. So do I. You want people to have shelter and food and water and to, 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 to live without worrying about where their next meal come, comes from? Great. I do, too. But the state is not the way to do it because the state's going to take all the resources and, and energy and devotion you give. You're sacrificing on your principles because now you're trying to serve two masters and you're, you're worshiping the state while you worship God. And you, you just can't do that. And then second, the state isn't going to take those resources and do what you want them to do with them. They're going to squander them. They're going to waste them. And they're going to take that power you gave them and they're going to hurt people. Stop giving the power to the state that is yours to use to actually go and make a difference in this world. That is awesome stuff, Jacob. Chris, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, I think I've caused enough trouble for one day. <laughs> <laughs> I think both of, I think all three of us have. This is going to be. This was a, co- a great conversation. And uh, Chris, why don't you go ahead and plug whatever you want to plug, and then Jacob, you do as well. My professional endeavors can be found at blueribbonlogistics.com. If you're a Class A CDL driver that would like to um, learn how to be an owner-operator without risk and uh, you know, make $150,000, $200,000 a year, uh, check us out at blueribbonlogistics.com. Uh, my, my political ramblings and ravings can be found on uh, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash unbeliever_podcast. That uh, podcast is on all the uh, appropriate platforms. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Chris Polk 76, and that's about all I got. Jacob, go ahead. So you can find me on Facebook, uh, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And you can also, uh, there is a website that I'm working on, which might be done by the time this airs. It'll be uh, Daniel318.com. And then uh, podcasts can be found there, but also found on uh, YouTube and on Podbean. You just search Daniel uh, 318, Biblical Anarchy, and you'll be able to find all that. Sounds great, man. I really appreciate y'all's time and we will do this again for sure. Y'all have a great day. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com.